Okay. Okay. So we'll so come to that. We'll come to that. Calm down. Dude, we haven't even started. No, no, I know. I'm okay. <laughs> dude, we haven't even started. Dude, dude, dude give dude. us a little foreplay first. Man. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kersher and Wendy Bowlesby. listeners to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa and this is my co-host Wendy and we are back with special super guest star Noel Thingvall. Hello. Hello Noel Thingvall. Hello. Hello. Terry Thomas keeps making an appearance. I don't know what that's about. This is an even numbered episode so we've already been drinking. Yes. I have a pear cider that Melissa dug out of her fridge. Yep. This after finishing a whole bottle of red wine. Noel, I want to tell you, Noel does not drink. Mm -hmm. He's been drinking caffeine, but I have to say he's been keeping up. Yeah. Emotionally and psychically. So it's all good. It's all good here in the Pleasure Dome. It Totally. And I am drinking a Great Lakes Brewing Company Burning River. My pear cider is a fox barrel. And it has a fox on it, and it keeps reminding me of Your Next, which is the movie that keeps on giving. If you still haven't watched it, you need to watch it. Shut up. Go watch it right now. It reminds me of Antichrist. So your bottle currently is saying at me, chaos reigns. <laughs> I don't want to watch Antichrist. You don't, you don't need the to watch The more you talk about Antichrist, the more I'm like, I really don't need to watch that movie. I'm, I'm Melissa just gonna... watched it for the two of us, and I'm, do- and I'm saved. I'm saved. It's so biblical. <laughs> and meanwhile, I have Noel, not seen it either. Noel is our sober driver. Yes. <laughs> Thank goodness. And today, I am partaking in a lovely juicy juice fruit punch with Mio Energy. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Oh my. So uh, what, what do you think of your juicy juice fruit punch? It is fruity and it has a bit of punch thanks to the Mio Energy. Is it is it juicy? Because I happen to know it's a juicy juice. It's juicy. That's why I'm trying not to drink it's too both, much of it because I'm getting too mouthwatery on the podcast. It is both adjective <laughs> and noun. Radio, it yeah. is juicy and juice. Yes. All right. Our topic for this evening <laughs> is one near and dear to all of our hearts. Mm-hmm. And that is John fucking Carpenter. Yeah. I have to say John fucking mm-hmm. Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Now, way, 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 way back in the day, like seriously a decade ago now, yeah, Melissa and I, along with our friend Perrin Klump, we did a panel at Convergence. Ooh. Yes. The John Carpenter intervention panel. Yes, because we, we, we felt like it. John Carpenter was awesome and had lost his way and we needed him to wake up and recognize that perhaps... He needed some help. And so we staged an intervention for him. And it was very well attended and it went very well. Yes, I, I believe I could have gone. Yeah, I believe it was right after Ghosts of Mars. It was like, oh, this is this poor man. Which this I which man. I saw the uh, panel for Ghosts of Mars at San Diego Comic Con. It so was did the I. saddest thing. It was where he didn't show up and so it was just Joanna Cassidy and the guy dressed as Big Daddy just having to try to mm-hmm. entertain the audience who was pissed that John Carpenter wasn't there. Yeah, because it, it was, John Carpenter, oh, I was in the same room with you at San Diego. Cool. You, yeah, it's Small amazing. World. 
Wow. Except that that's not a small room, so it's that's not true. a very small world. That's a gigantic fucking And Sam, and Sam fucking Raimi room. ran over and pissed everyone off. Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. you, Sam Raimi. Wait, no, I kind of love that's you. why we're not... Uh, except Spider-Man 3. I used uh. to. I used to love him. The gift mm. is great. The it gift is. is great. There's a lot but to love about Sam Raimi. All the, all the time. No, I'm talking about the movie The Gift. Oh, The Gift. Oh, thought you were talking about the gift of, that is his ability. No, and he has... <laughs> but a, it is a gift. He it has is, a gift. But... Also, gift was we have Sam Raimi to thank for Bruce Campbell. I like Simple Plan. And, mm-hmm. and Simple Plan's great. And Bruce Campbell. And yes. just the whole mm-hmm. Evil Dead. Yeah. So John Carpenter. So John Carpenter. Yes. <laughs> Wait. Silver Driver to the left. Right there. Okay. So let's get started. Way, way back. John Carpenter. Way, way back. Before I was born, no, but before I was really watching movies. It was before I was born, I think. I'm pretty sure. What year? Yeah, it was before I was born. Not by much. Okay, so the first thing on Melissa's list is... It's not the first thing that Noel's going to talk about. See, and I was born in 82, so I haven't even gotten to the point in the podcast series You're that I'm doing yet. such a baby. I remember 82 so well. Yeah. Oh. 82? I was 12. I was going through puberty. I was thinking about boys... And was that E.T.? Yeah, uh, I thought that was 81. Yeah. Close anyway, enough. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't know. I was the point being 82 was Poltergeist. I was roller skating. <laughs> I roller skated a lot. I was a still a newborn infant at the time, so I don't remember. All y'all, all y'all are late to the party. I was I was geek before you all were even there. Yeah. I'm just saying. So, so anyway, back in the early 70s, Noel... <laughs> Sober yes. driver, Noel. So tell Please, us yes. about John Carpenter's Please, early career let, that show, nobody really knows wait, about. Wait, wait, wait. Shall we start about a little bit about John Carpenter? I mean, we know John Carpenter's movies, but do we know the man? The man, John, John Carpenter. Carpenter. Shoot, I didn't come prepared. Oh. Well, I, I do know he was, was the son in, yeah. of a music professor, which explains his music ability. His, his musical abilities. His musical abilities and his desire. And yeah. let's be honest... It's not so much his musical abilities, it's his need to also compose, yes. mm-hmm. which in some cases is good and in some cases is not so good. In the case of Halloween, it's super good. Oh, it's perfect. Seriously, the man got it. Mm-hmm. Boop, right there, ping. I actually liked his Ghost of Mars score, though, oh, because, <laughs> because he just composed the theme and then he brought in a lot of rock guitarists to, to like just do their version of the themes and... I actually thought it came off well. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, and, okay, there's something to be said for here's what yeah. I want you to play and having there's somebody else do it. There's other aspects of Carpenter where it's like it's really cool until it's not. Yeah. And yeah. I'll get into the specifics of that. Oh, yeah, I, um, I'm sure we will. But by the time yes. you get to Big Trouble, his score is like, whoop, that's a John Carpenter score. To the score. point where he's doing music videos. <laughs> yes, yes. John Carpenter music videos. Which it um. should also be mentioned, if we're going back to his childhood, we must also mention Nick Castle and Tommy Lee Wallace. Yes. Two other filmmakers who were his childhood friends who went to USC with him mm-hmm. and worked with him on all of his films in, through the 70s and into the early 80s before going off and doing their other their their things. And... uh You've mentioned repeatedly, what is the roller skate movie? The Apple? Oh, no. no. You mean Xanadu? No, 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 no. The, the, the really one. crazy one. Oh, Skate Town USA. Oh, that's right. That was the Nick first Castle. screenplay by Nick Castle. Yes, Nick Castle, Skate that's Town. Right. That's right. That's right. Skate Town USA. I keep, I keep forgetting yes. that. Skate Town USA That was glorious. when he broke off from Carpenter and did Skate Town USA, Last Starfighter, uh, The yeah. Boy You Could Fly. Oh, Last Starfighter. Last Starfighter. I love Last Starfighter. Because it's so good. I know. It's so good. It is. I know. 
Anyway, so <laughs> Tommy Lee Wallace has not been quite as successful, but he still had a consistent. Right. Right. Who cares yeah. about? It? We're talking about John Carpenter. But yes, John Carpenter. So no, way, context, way, context, context yes. is good. I just want to bring it back. So, what are we starting to talk about if we're not talking about his first feature film? Well, well Nick Castle, you know. It, yeah, yeah uh, no, but, I'm just rolling it forward. Well, actually, but the reason I'm bringing them up is because they're going to be directly involved in a number of these films coming up, and especially the first film, Resurrection of Bronco Billy. Right. Which was a USC student short that had four directors who all did their own segments, yet only one of them was credited which created drama when it won the Oscar and he was the only one who got the award. Right. And that was not John Carpenter. Oh! (laughs) That's how you have bitter rivalries that last your whole career and you end up doing whatever happened to Baby Jane and you're in love with the person, but you're fighting with the person (laughs) and seriously, you need some therapy. That's... What happens, which is why you should always address this shit early on. And again, Nick Castle was one of the other ones, too. But yes, and then that actually created a lot of bitterness. Well, let me just talk about Resurrection Brock Billy first. Yes, please do. It's not that interesting of a movie. It's a student short. It's just a lot of experimental stuff of let's just go around and play with the camera. Mm-hmm. It's basically just a geek who loves Westerns who tries to emulate the cowboy image while living in New York and everyone gives him crap. Okay. And he's so caught up in his personal fandom that his own life is failing as a result of it because he refuses to look outside that bubble. It actually speaks a lot to like modern day fandom at its worst Mm -hmm. in terms of like creating the bubble that you're refusing to come out of. I don't want to look at that movie. I like to believe that I'm a great fan. Yeah. And and that's that's also very it's also very 70s. It is, too. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. And it actually has like one really neat sequence uh, where... He's just in a park and a girl starts drawing his picture and it's this really sweet thing. You think, oh, they're going to start flirting and because he's wearing this whole cowboy getup. And then he goes over, looks at the picture and just starts nitpicking everything that's factually wrong about it as a Western thing. And until she's just like, I got to go now. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That is fandom. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's a neat scene. But it's. Um, I hate to tell you this, yeah. but the bolo tie was actually fastened in this fashion. You know, the Starfleet insignia goes on the other side. No, we have, we had that problem. Yeah. <laughs> but the important thing about it is, is that that drama led to the dissatisfaction with the USC system that led to them taking Dark Star out of USC. Because Dark Star, his next film, started as a USC short. Mm-hmm. Where while at USC, it's also Nick Castle and Tommy Lewis working on this with him. He met up with with Dan O'Bannon, the the amazing Dan the O'Bannon. Guy. Dan O'Bannon, which is a great name to say because it's very assonancy. Are you familiar with the works of Dan O'Bannon? Dan O'Bannon is yeah. Alien. He, yeah. wrote, he wrote Alien, yeah. Total Recall, yeah. wrote and directed Return of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Also, crazy stuff. say the words Dan O'Bannon. It's very satisfying because there's a lot of assonance there. I'm just saying. Also, he yes. had a wonderful interview in Hodorowsky's Dune, which is great. <laughs> yes. I still need to see that. I, yes, I do too. Yeah. yeah, it's so good. Hodorowsky's Dune. One of, one of the I best. want to be Russian. Horowski's done. I don't no. care if he's Russian. I feel like it should be Russian. He's Chilean. Yeah, I know, but it sounds like it should be Russian. Russians can be can be Chilean too. <laughs> Seriously, all the Nazis fled to Chile. <laughs> I'm just saying. What? No, I'm not. So, but Dark Star, it's Dark Star. They pair it up, and they welcome have this... to an even numbered episode. <laughs> Is it everything you wished it would be? It is actually so far. 
It's like a carpenter film. There's this long drought of suspense to where will it lead? Where will it lead? Nowhere! If you're in one of his later films. Oh, I said it! But no, but Dark Star. Have either of you seen Dark Star? Oh, I love Dark Star. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's it. It's, it's delightful. It's, there, there, there are pacing problems. I, and, that's and the first I'll get thing. into the reasons why. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of but course you will. This is this is a sci-fi film that was made for what sixty thousand dollars. It was a super low yeah. budget, and uh, he made it with O'Bannon and Nick Castle and well, Tommy Lee Wallace was Tommy the Lee set Wallace. designer. Yeah. Nick Castle played the beach ball puppet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so so it's it's this the beach ball puppet. Basically, oh 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 oh. Be- so they find an alien, and it, this is just a small segment of the film. And this is actually the beach what- ball puppet is the name of my monkey's cover no, band. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. No, Dark Star is this sci-fi comedy that yes. also kind of focuses on like the how boring it would be in space. And the, it's, the, it's these and, guys, basically yeah. there's colony ships that are going out to colonize space. And these are the guys going out before the colony ships to blow up any unstable planets that would upset solar systems. Yeah. So you're stabilizing solar systems by just going around and nuking entire planets. Yeah. And they kind of great. Yeah. But, but these same four guys have been stuck on a ship together for like 30 years. Yeah. And something they just obscene. haven't aged because of the time dilation and all that stuff. And they're just insane. They don't entirely remember their own backstories. They don't entirely remember their own names. You know, and that's seriously kind of great. It is. And it's it a, is. And the thing is, and then it started as a half hour USC short. Uh-huh. And the way that they got it out of the USC system was literally by breaking into USC and stealing what they had shot. Yeah. And then they set it up, in a, which you're technically not supposed to do because USC technically owns anything that's made with their equipment. Mm hmm. And uh, basically, then they just basically set it up in a garage somewhere. And over the next two years, would just sporadically build it up to an hour. And then they went to the guy who made the blob, yeah. who was a film distributor, who gave them enough money to blow it back, blow it out to like 80 minutes. And so it's like four year process of making this student film into a first feature. Most of it filmed in a garage. And the reason why there's so much Dan O'Bannon in the movie, because he's one of the actors, is because they've gone so long that he's the only actor still there. Yes. <laughs> So they built this entire subplot where he's chasing this alien beach ball around the ship trying to get it back in its cage. And weirdly, I find it to be one of the most entertaining segments of the f- film, with the exception of the conversation with the bomb at the end. But I love that. I, I love the sequence where he's chasing the alien around because this yeah. alien is literally a beach ball with feet. Yes. It, it has <laughs> polka dots on it. And you can see the seams in it. No, and, and it's not even yeah. feet. It's just flippers. It's yeah, like it's a beach a ball of, and flippers. It's flippers and it kind of waddles around and brings around and it's like they'll just throw it at him yeah yeah Yeah. and and it kind of bounces and he's chasing around the ship that's like these whole chuck jones comedy oh and 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 the beautiful thing is they totally acknowledge it's a beach ball yeah by how the sequence closes yeah he shoots it with a tranquilizer dart and it just deflates and flies it just goes (laughs) okay i've had a moment of clarity while listening to all this i am your entry point to true geekdom, dear listeners, <laughs> because as Noel and Melissa start talking about this film that I have never seen, <laughs> I am your entry point because I'm totally on board. I would like to see this <laughs> because this sounds amazingly see, ridiculous. It's, oh, it's, it's wonderful. Rough. But I haven't seen it. I I am, I am the more mainstream yeah. viewer mm-hmm. oh, yeah. who is nonetheless intrigued enough to seek out things occasionally. So you and I together, listeners... 
we will listen to these two and just be like, what? And I will say it yeah. is it is rough. The pace is all over the place because of all the adding footage, added yeah. footage. And it's very much visibly on the cheap, but it's so inventive. <laughs> and yeah. it just so much just runs with it. I think the only thing I would say about it is that it's more Dan O'Bannon than it is John Carpenter. Yeah, I, I will agree with that. But it, just the joy of watching the movie, especially the ending sequence where literally one of the bombs on the ship has gone rogue. And the solution is I mean, one of the, the characters. All the bombs are sentient. <laughs> yeah, all the bombs are sentient. They're, they're, to... I don't want to blow up. Exactly. I, yeah. And they have to get him into a lot, an, an article about uh, logical theoretics in terms of, in terms of like convincing them because he's going to blow up the entire ship, mm-hmm. and they have to convince him that the ship doesn't exist or something like that. And yeah. it's like, well, technically, you don't know that you exist in a universe where you have to follow the law that you think you're being governed by. <laughs> so they they basically have to yeah. philosophically confuse the bomb enough that it won't blow up. Exactly, and it's beautiful, and it doesn't work. But then there's this whole other sequence after it, and yeah. I won't oh. spoil that. Yeah, it, oh, it, this sounds yeah. charming. It, 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 it is. It is so and much fun. It's also fascinating to watch because there's a lot in it that is a predecessor to Alien. In terms of the layout of the ship, in terms of Mm -hmm. like just the the general atmosphere of the crew, in terms of stalking this alien around the ship. But it's like this is played tongue in cheek. Alien is the same story done straight. Nice. And really, both of the movies owe a lot to uh, Planet of the Vampires. Bava's Planet of the Vampires. Bava being one of Melissa's favorites, and now one of mine. Hello, Danger Diabolic. Bava. Oh my God, you need to show me more Bava. Oh, I will. That was amazing. I have. Oh, I need to see more Bava, but I've seen enough to really love him too. Oh, Danger Diabolic is so sexy and so magical, and at the same time. I don't know what's happening to me. It's a truly, it's a virgin walking into a whorehouse and just laying down and going, I don't know what you're doing, but I like it. Speaking, of, jour- speaking of John <clears throat> Carpenter. Um, <laughs> oh, just, you- oh, try and keep us on topic. <laughs> Woohoo! What's next? But no, but Dark Star yeah. is also just fascinating to watch because it has all these ties to everything. It's just such a weird movie. But oh, then, it is. But then I think the next film is really where John Carpenter made his mission statement. Assault on Precinct 13. Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah. Which so many of his movies are just remakes of. I'm sorry. Well. Not well, so many, a but. Couple, but I think well, that's fair. You know, Howard Hawks was, would redo his stories too. Well, another, Howard yeah. Hawks remade Rio Bravo Twice, and I I actually love Rio Bravo and El Dorado. Well, yeah, it, it, El Dorado was when you favorites. find a formula that works. When you find a story that is so good, tell it again. Mm-hmm. To be fair, he's only really done it a couple of times, mm-hmm. but still. But other people have also done it too. Oh yes. well, yeah, because and, and then other fun. people have built off of John Carpenter. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's the gift that keeps. Speaking on of the remake of Assault on Precinct Thirteen. <laughs> oh no 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 no. <laughs> Which I actually like, but it's not as good. It's it's okay. nowhere near as good. Okay, so but Assault anyway, on yeah. Precinct Thirteen. It's you know yeah it's basically cops trapped in a jailhouse surrounded by gang members pouring in and the cops have to team up with the criminals locked in the cages to fight off the gang members Mm -hmm. and it was it was originally written as a western with apaches and an old desert jail station Mm -hmm. and he just was like i can't get the funding for a period western let's put it in modern day california and it yeah it's such a great idea and that this was his first feature film 
Yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, because Dark Star was yeah. a collaboration. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's be honest. And Dark Star really is kind of still a student it was it was film an evolved student sort film. Of yeah, yeah, playing around. And yeah, we got it. We managed to get it. Yeah, distributed. But let's be honest about what was really going on there. Assault mm-hmm. was him, like really just boldly. What am I about? And what do I want to be as a filmmaker? And mm-hmm. this is where you get the start of his extremely sharp cinematography, oh, his editing, yeah. his music. Because, you know, Dark Star was very much, you know, trucker, well, let's just have a soundtrack of, like, old Western tunes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this it, one was this... just him bringing in the synthesizer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's just, and, like, also the anti-hero themes with Napoleon Wilson, who was, like, a very much a predecessor to Snake Plissken. Mm-hmm. You have the start of his strong characters with, with his strong female characters with the character of Lee. Yep. Who is, like, not only doing everything that the guys are doing, but with one dead arm. Yes. God, she was awesome. And 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 I remember so very clearly watching that movie for the first time and there was such a game-changing moment when the child walks up to the car who by the way is the little girl from the Witch Mountain movies. Yes. And oh my god. That's yeah. And and this you, was after the first Witch Mountain. Yeah. And and Tia, they, Tia and Tony. And yep. And they kill the kid. I mean, it, it's... They do it's, shoot her. Yeah, it's completely cold-blooded. And, I mean, even today, you don't expect anything yeah. like that. I mean, other other directors have but done yeah, that. I but seeing but this, something yeah. that early in, in Carpenter's career is like, you kill the kid. Oh, my God. There There is something very powerful and, you know, very horrible about that moment. Mm-hmm. And then also that that is the springboard that you can't even say it was a cheap moment because that is the springboard that leads to the entire plot unfolding. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In terms of the father getting revenge and then the gangs chasing him and then leading Mm -hmm. him to the police station. So Mm -hmm. what you're saying is assault on Precinct 13 was him very clearly saying, hello, this is who I am. Right. And assault on Precinct 13 is also showing a lot of Howard Hawks influence in terms of building strong characters Without having to have like deep backstories or anything like that, it's very much also a Walter Hill type thing. Mm-hmm. Catchy, snappy one-liners that just show this bond in the battlefield type of mentality of, and they're not all good characters; they're assholes and scoundrels, but they're still like fighting for a common goal, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I think that is something that I've really come to appreciate doing my series on John Carpenter, which we haven't mentioned. Masters of Carpentry at masterscarpentry.blogspot.com. <laughs> <laughs> we will link it yes. in the show notes. I'm doing a podcast series going through every single John Carpenter movie, and oh, yeah. I've really come to appreciate him as a writer, as a character builder, as a storyteller. And so the reason 13, it's a sharp, slick, pared down action movie that's also really deep with a lot of a lot of great themes in terms of battlefield heroism and and just these really strong characters. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing is, and we'll get to the thing. The thing is one of my all time favorite movies. And you couldn't have the thing without Assault on Precinct 13. Precisely. And everything that he does right in Assault on Precinct mm-hmm. Thirteen. 13 he hones and perfects oh yeah in the thing and even some other films coming up too it's yeah the thing i think is we'll get to the thing thing i think is his peak that is oh, that's yeah. the oh. focal point of his career yeah. that is where everything leads to and then everything kind of that falls is a from. movie that god that was the mid 80s so it is yeah. now 30 no, early 80s it is 30 years old and it is still so effective and i still love the shit out of that movie so much but E.T. Uh, e. was 82, because e. that was, was what killed the thing at the box office. Indeed, it was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know it's 82. 82 was good Referencing year. a conversation. Yeah. That 82 was episode. a fucking great. 
82 was a fucking yes. great year. Okay. All right. Anyway, okay, before so, we get so, there. So after Assault on Precinct 13, there's a couple things you wanted to yeah. talk about. Uh, after Assault on Precinct 13, he took some time off because he was gearing up uh, a number of films. So what he did was for about two and a half years, he wrote a screenplay a month. And some mm-hmm. were assignments, some were spec scripts he just threw out into the system, but he just churned out. He was honing his skills as a writer, churning out these screenplays that he was flooding the system with. And a number of those would actually get produced in the 80s, 90s, I think one of them in 2001. Mm-hmm. And these all just came from 1975 to 1977. One of these is Escape from New York, too, which he wrote with Nick Castle around that time. But then also you have The Eyes of Laura Mars. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Have you seen that one? It was on Movie Channel okay. when I was in like yeah. eight years old. Eyes <laughs> oh of Laura God. Mars, where a woman mm-hmm. gets a, a female photographer, excuse me, gets a psychic connection with a killer who starts picking off of her, her friends yeah. and starts seeing the kills through his eyes. Yeah. Yep. It was really creepy. Yeah. And it was very much a play on Dario Argento's, uh, was a cat of nine tails. Yeah. Where it's you, you very, every kill is done from the first person point of view. And that house, we, we should mention Dario Argento because Carpenter was a fan. Yes. Uh, there, there's a lot of Argento in Carpenter's. I work. mean, he uses like green and red lighting. Mm-hmm. He uses his, the stings in his score are very goblin esque. Mm-hmm. He's very much influenced by the style. Thankfully, not so much the storytelling. Yeah. Thank God for which that. He got that from Howard Hawks, thankfully. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, the feeling of Argento is story. It, it's interesting that John Carpenter is the middle ground between Howard Hawks and Dario Argento. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of love you know, that Venn diagram. Yeah. You know, when you put it that way, yeah. <laughs> so much becomes both clear and kind of great. I know. <laughs> Yay. Thank you, John Carpenter, yeah. for being our interpreter. So, yeah, so you have this period where he's writing these things, and Eyes of Laura Mars is a really fun film. It's just not that scary and shocking because Irvin Kirshner is a good director, but he's not a very good horror director. But it, right. But it's a great, I think it's Faye Dunaway, Tommy it is Lee Faye Jones. Dunaway. Mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones in one of his early roles. Uh, Renea Bergenois has a great role in it. <laughs> it's, it's a really good... I forgot it was Renea Bergenois. Yeah. Le Poisson, Le Poisson. It's also Raul Julia's film debut. Oh, God, that's right. You know so many things. Well, that's because I did an episode on it on my podcast, which you can find at Masters of Carpentry. (laughs) (laughs) Plug. So, yeah, but now we're straying into ones that I haven't gotten to yet, but I just thought I'd mention Black Moon Rising, (gasps) which is Linda Hamilton, Tommy Lee Jones. And Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, my God, I totally saw that movie. It wasn't very good, but it was super fun. But what's interesting is that it's the same plot of Knight Rider. A thief steals a supercar. <laughs> which it was made after Knight Rider premiered, but the script was written like seven years earlier. And Glenn Larson is known for ripping things off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was totally a. This is a great car. Yeah, it wasn't a very good movie. I know, I but still, we'll get, I'm still going to get to it though. I think we're going to do that. I still watched months. it because yeah. Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones stealing a supercar in a John Carpenter written. There car. was a. There was a. <laughs> there was a great big. We're going to jump a big distance scene in that movie if i remember right okay i watched a lot of movies in the in the late 70s and early 80s none of the not i all would of have too had i been born <laughs> well fine you know what yeah. my theory is that you were actually watching movies before you were born you are yeah. far beyond your years in movie watching. i just absorbed that from my dad's genes <laughs> <laughs> to say lightly so yes and then there were two tv movie westerns el diablo and blood river another one of those was with tommy lee wallace i haven't seen those yet i know one was actually set up with john wayne was going to star in it before he died oh boy oh okay 
And then the last one I've got is Silent Predators, <laughs> which was based on a script he wrote called Fangs, where it's literally just a truck delivering snakes to a zoo uh, it gets overturned and basically the snakes just go all over the place in a small town. And oh my god! Snakes on a truck! Wow! Sna snakes on the plains. <laughs> <laughs> snakes on the plains. So yes, that was written in 1976, wasn't produced until 1999. Oh. Oh. And then also wow. there was a great script that I covered on the blog that I managed to find, an unproduced one called Prey. That Bob Clark was going to do as his film following Black Christmas. You're going to have Bob Clark directing a John Carpenter screen. <laughs> Good God. And it just, it took too long to get made. And it's basically three women go mountain climbing in the Appalachian Mountains. And it's basically Descent meets, how, meets um, Hills Have Eyes. <laughs> Oh my God! And it's—I don't know how I feel about that. I will say the script—it—it it doesn't. It nobody actually gets raped, thankfully. It—it—it uh, it, it gets a little too far in the second act, but the first and third act are just spectacular. And I would still love to have just had them rework that second act. It's—it's it, it's an incredibly tense film, and it—the reason it didn't get made was. It took too long in the production process, and then Hills Have Eyes came along, kind of oh. beat them to the punch. I think this would have been the better version. Because it's basically they find a family of Confederates that have been hidden up in the Appalachian Mountains. Wow. <laughs> All this time. Oh. I make it a face. Can we make it now? Can oh. we get funding? <laughs> I think it holds up. I think it's a script that holds up Dude. really well. Dude. Could we make it as a Fringe show? See, <gasps> see it doesn't... <laughs> Oh my God, your face! Wendy! Wendy, you're brilliant! Sometimes I am. I can you email are. you a copy. Yes. Oh, please yes. do. Yes. I want and to then, read this. And then we, and then we, can, we can go through <laughs> Drew and, and get permission from John Carpenter to make a script <laughs> as a French show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that he owns it, though, because Warner Brothers might hold the rest. Oh. We'll it see. doesn't matter. We'll it's see. a French show. Nobody pays attention. Next step. Okay. Is then he became involved with four TV movies of the week. Three for NBC, one for ABC. Mm -hmm. In the middle of this, he did Halloween, which we'll get to. I just kind of want to yep. pair these up. You have two that he wrote, one that he directed, and one that he wrote and directed. The two that he wrote are Zuma Beach and Better Late Than Never. Okay. And Zuma Beach is Suzanne Summers. <laughs> <laughs> is an aging pop star who's just okay. been let go by her record label. So she decides for inspiration to clear her head, she's going to go back to the beach that she used to hang out on as a teenager and just meet up with all the teenagers that are hanging out there now. And so you get like Timothy Hutton, Michael Bean. Uh, oh my God. Rosanna Arquette, Tanya Roberts, all in like some of their what? first roles. Dude. And it's literally just, a day in these teen a day with these teenagers on the beach. There's no real overarching plot. It's just these little vignettes <laughs> of just these teenagers on a beach with Suzanne Summers just walking around in their midst. <laughs> I have no idea what to feel about See, that. See, and the thing is, it's not a great movie, but it was fascinating to watch because it's John Carpenter writing something that is so outside of what you expect from John Carpenter. He occasionally does that. And sadly, not very much past the 70s, but... Yeah, well, yeah. he has his moments. But, but yeah. it, it really showed this window in terms of how he built characters and how he built these little moments. And it was just a... It's actually a really charming little TV movie. Well, it's just there's not much to it. Huh. And it's neat seeing just for the early cast. It's, it's actually pretty well made. 
Okay, okay, I believe again, you. There's not much to it, but yes, it's just Suzanne Summers hanging out with teenagers on a beach for a day. That's the entirety of this TV movie. <laughs> okay, so John so the Carpenter. second TV movie. We've only yeah. talked about like two movies. We're oh, getting we... there. We're, we're going to roll through these. Oh my God, 45 minutes. Okay, no, well, no. Well, we got a lot that you're trimming out, so that's fine. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, we got, we, got, okay. we got work to do. Better late than never. Better late than never, yes. Not See? the John Cusack film. A lovable comedy it's about... It's better off dead. John Carpenter writing a lovable comedy about senior citizens in a retirement home. <laughs> with Henry Morgan, Donald Pleasance, mm. Victor Buono, who is only 40, but he's playing like 70. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a scene where Donald Pleasance and Henry Morgan are dancing to disco music. Good <laughs> I will bring it up. I have made gifts of this. That is a gift that keeps on giving. But yes, is it gift or jiff for fuck's sake? It's one or the other, whichever is your preference at the time. <laughs> Thank you for that. I feel so much more calm about the whole thing now. <laughs> this send that to me because I want to link it. I want to link it a lot. Well, if you go to mastersofcarpentry.blogspot.com, oh, okay. heads the post. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how he does the jazz hands. Wait, there we go. <laughs> he just ends it with the jazz hands. <laughs> this guy right here. Look you at know. him wiggle. Look at him wiggle. Oh yeah. He's got the oh, fizz. Yeah. I love how he's, he's just, got the fizz. He's doing the leg yeah. twist thing. He's yeah. got the fizz. <laughs> he's got the wiggle going on. I know. Oh, there is so much to love about those. I know. Oh my god. You, yes. That, those need to be posted on the Facebook as separate items so that people can download them and keep them forever in their hearts. I will send you a link. Yes. But yes, it is that scene alone is worth watching it for but it's basically you have an hour of these senior citizens struggling underneath the management that's treating them like babies and they're like we're still we're grown adults we've earned respect so they... we want to have sex and drink booze actually <laughs> it's so, like cocoon i'm so, sorry but any adult that's their no. instinctive reaction no and i'm not actually, a baby i want to have sex and drink you have two seniors who, who fall in love and want a relationship they're keeping them apart you have one guy who loves to drink and party and they're like no you don't get that you know they even go to the theme park and but you don't get to ride the rides for insurance reasons you know oh so, so that's just fuckish. here's the twist so they find out that one of them came from an old ghost town. So they're like, let's steal a train and go colonize the ghost town. Dude. So the last, the last time. <laughs> Your face. The third act is they steal a fucking train. <laughs> and they're like plowing the train through police barricades. Oh, fuck uh, you. We're going to a ghost town. And fuckers. then they get to the ghost town. But then the police show up and then they just go back to retirement home. But. <laughs> But they have a better living there now. And it's, like, <laughs> it's like literally this this little comedy. It's like John Carpenter writes this little comedy about senior citizens retirement home stealing a train and going rogue. <laughs> <laughs> plowing through police barricades. Because the thing about oh. a train is you have no idea where it's going to end up, right? Yeah. No, that's the problem about a train. You know exactly where it's going to end And again, this is this is like one of the most obscure credits in Carpenter's Library. We almost weren't going to cover this on the podcast till I found a guy who specializes in selling bootlegs of 70s TV movies. Oh, my God. So I got a disc of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's just, it's again, it's like Zuma Beach in that it shows you John Carpenter doing something you don't get to see John Carpenter do. Because the thing about John Carpenter, he's very much pegged in the action John Carpenter and the horror John Carpenter. Uh -huh. And it's like, what I love about this period in the 70s, specifically when you look at the films that he wrote, 
you get to see him do this whole range. You get to see him actually do westerns, which mm-hmm. was something he always wanted to do and never got to. Yeah. You get to see him do co- teen comedies, you know, a lovable comedy drama, Senior Citizen's Retirement Home. You get to see him just do all these things that he doesn't usually get to do. Well, in, in context of those, I mean, in the mid-80s when Starman came out, it seemed to kind of come out of nowhere unless you were you know what he was up to right. in the early 70s. Exactly. And then this leads into, I think, probably one of the one of the other kind of forgotten peaks of his career, the film, the TV movie that he wrote and directed, Someone's Watching Me. Is that the Lauren Hutton one? Yes. And I yeah. think that is one of the, that was a surprise. I watched it for the first time when we were doing it on the podcast. It is one of the best Carpenter movies I've ever seen. Really? It's Carpenter doing just pure Hitchcock, but it's also this biting examination of casual sexism. And, oh, oh. And we need to is. watch that. Yeah, and it is. It should, put it on the list. It, put it, put it in the Robert Aldrich box. I mean, and the main <laughs> villain, and this goes into stuff that we see on the internet today, is the main villain is he'll perpetually stalk and harass women, not because he wants to kill them or rape them or anything like that. He just wants to constantly harass them until he drives them crazy, hmm. and. And it's all about keeping it at a distance, always about being anonymous, you know, like tapping into their phone, spying on them, constantly sending them abuse and harassment. Silencing them, making making them so afraid that they just shut up and withdraw. And the thing is, it shows the Lauren Hutton character having to deal with just everyday everyday sexism in the workplace in terms of, you know, uh, bosses who hit on her. She goes to a bar and has to deal with that. She has to deal with catcalls on the street. And she's a character who just doesn't. She has like no fucks to give. She she just doesn't. <laughs> she's like fuck you. I'm just gonna keep going on living my life. I, I don't put up with any of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's like a great scene where she gets hit on by a guy at a bar, and she basically just completely shoots him down, tears him down. He reacts accordingly, and then so she sees a guy that she wants, so she goes and uses like really cheap pickup lines on him. And then he becomes her boyfriend throughout the story, but not a protective boyfriend. It's always her fighting, her doing all this. And it's like she doesn't put up with any of this shit in her life. So when she comes across it in its most severe form, she's still like, I'm not putting up with this. Right. And so she basically gradually breaks down this guy's barrier of anonymity, tracks him to his home, and starts bringing the fight to him. Nice. Ah. And it's it's her, it's Adrian Barbeau, is her <laughs> best friend. Who is also a progressive gay character. Mm-hmm. She's, nice. and, and it also deals with a platonic friendship between a lesbian and another woman who's already in a relationship of her own. So it's like it, it's a very surprisingly progressive and still relevant movie. And it was it was made for TV. It was a TV movie that he didn't even intend to direct. It was just one of those scripts that he just yeah. churned out when he was doing a script a month. And they just asked him to direct it. Huh. And then I will say that this one he did right before, it came out after Halloween, but he made it right before Halloween. He mainly did it because he wanted to work with a studio crew for the first time, mm-hmm. a union crew, because he has his main crew that he works with on other things. But he just wanted to pick it up from these experienced veterans. And this is where he where he first got to deal with the Panaglide camera that he used for all the tracking shots in Halloween. Right. And I, I, I seriously think it's it's an incredible film. It's an incredible statement of a film that still holds up today. And it's amazing that he did this on his own because this was right before he started working with Deborah Hill on things, too. Mm-hmm. And it's just... So when did he make this again? What year? 77, 78. No, 78. Yeah, it came out right after Halloween. 70, yeah, 78. He 78 filmed it right Halloween. before Halloween. Mm-hmm. And then 
So almost 30 years ago, and we still haven't solved the problem of sexism. Exactly. Yay! And then it basically, in its in its anonymous stalker, it's basically representing internet trolls mm-hmm. and what we're facing now. Seriously, yeah. And it is, and that's what it is. It just starts sending death I'm threats. Gonna and, do- I'm going to dox you. Right. And it's not even about, I'm never going to do anything to you. I'm just going to constantly threaten you until you give in. Yeah, it's, it's a power play. Exactly. And then it's about tearing that down and just facing it. Yeah. And... But then, yeah, then then there was Halloween, which we'll get to in a second. But I just want to skip over to Elvis, which was his last of the TV movies, mm-hmm. which he got because, oh, he did a really great score in Halloween. He can direct a musical, <laughs> <laughs> which he signed on for because he wanted the experience. And it's it's not good. It's not a good miniseries. Who played Elvis? Kurt Russell. That's yeah, where, I'm that like, was wait. That was the birth of their relationship. I'm like, wasn't that the Kurt Russell Elvis? He did a really good job. I no. remember that because he and did a really good job playing Elvis. Here's the thing. Kurt Russell is really good. Uh, well, he starts off a little rough, but he actually grows. As Elvis gets older, he really settles into it. But And, and Carpenter directed the hell out of it. It's a beautiful looking movie. It's just shot perfectly like a Carpenter thing. Mm-hmm. But he had no control over the script. Mm-hmm. He had no control over the final cut. And it's just, it's bloated and it's cheap melodrama. It's just, it's just not very good. It's just a poorly written script. That's too bad. But I mean, it still, it still led to that relationship. It was still a big commercial hit for him. Mm-hmm. It got him additional work outside of that. But I think this is the time now for me to stop just bringing up these things that nobody else has seen. And let's go to Halloween. Halloween! Yay! Okay, so, Halloween yeah. is the movie that does not stand up to, to the test of time, largely because... Everybody after Halloween copied Halloween, copied Halloween. So when you go back to watch the original, you're like, oh, this is just really I already know this story. It's also very simple. Yeah, it's very simple. Although there are still elements that work. I mean, one of the things that I tiny moments that I always, always love is that moment where Michael Myers is outside the window and you see him standing outside the window and Mm -hmm. it kind of fades into darkness. Just... That, that, bit, that lovely little yeah. moment where if you blink, you miss it. I yeah. just I love oh. the way he's creeping around the edges yeah. all from the beginning I of the movie. I love that he's at such a distance that you don't even really realize till the end that he's wearing a mask. Yeah. And he's just this pale blank face. And also there's actually very little violence that actually shows up on film. It, yeah. it, it, the film very uh-huh. effectively uses your imagination. And I think also one of the reasons that it hasn't held up with audiences as much, and I know people who just don't like halloween and also uh, mm-hmm. this extends to other carpenter things he has a very specific pace to things oh yeah it's very deliberate it's very deliberate and it's not going to play to everyone mm-hmm. because he, he draws out moments mm-hmm. he likes to have just a single figure in a wide space mm-hmm. you know it's if you're yeah, not but it really works it this is I, a very small film no i know and i think you know when you mix that with the editing with the at with the the whole the leaves blowing in the wind with that music that score mm-hmm. it's just this sucking atmosphere that just kind of like locks you into it and and how great is that score well in- I mean, it, it, the, the simple staccato rhythm. Yeah, it's it's a simple. It's, it's, it's very, very Jaws like. Yeah, it's very simple, but it's in a very strange. Uh, but then it has uh, this other thing that comes up underneath it. Yeah, but it, but it's also in 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 a a, a very strange. Um, the measures the the measures time are, signature. The time signature is very bizarre. It, it's it's like an odd number. 
and uh, it's in, it, it's it in one of those off. weird like it's like seven twelve like a seven twelve yeah. or something. So yeah. it adds to the disquieting atmosphere. Yeah, or it's in five four or something yeah. like that, and it's um it's it's a subtle thing, and if you don't you know if you don't know how to read music you wouldn't necessarily pick up on it yeah. but it's the it the it beats does not, happen when you're not expecting them right right and it just feeds into yes. that sense of unease i don't know what's going to happen here and what you don't realize when you watch it now is this was the first movie this was the movie where there was a silent creeping presence that stalked you carnival of souls <laughs> yeah you're right the thing is uh, yeah Halloween, but was that a blockbuster kind of little yeah, is very the problem was they famous. didn't copyright it so it just went off in public domain yeah but halloween is very much carnival of souls and early argento giallo yeah but also but then even you get like the character building in terms of the three teenage girls which is what's illuminating about Zuma Beach is you have three teenage girls in that who are very much the same characters and you get to see them not die. Yeah. You know, and but yeah, then you just get this steady, deliberate build of we're just going to spend an hour and change building up to just 10 minutes where everything happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying that there weren't other movies before Halloween, no, but know. Halloween was the it's one that introduced of elements it and brought it into to the light. mainstream. Yeah. And suddenly you just had the... It's like slasher films. There were proto-slasher films, but that's what started the ball. Well, yeah. I mean, that's you know, Psycho, started... Psycho came before you, that, but, you know. You couldn't have Jason but that in Friday the, movement, the 13th. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you had Michael Myers. It's very true. Freddy right. was not silent. No. Freddy was a snarky bitch. Freddy <laughs> comes out of the EC comics. You know, he's oh, the, he totally the Crypt does. Keeper. Yeah. 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 I'm going to be snarky and bitch at you and but make no, But yeah, Jason comments. the most is one of the other most iconic, the same, the silent, the blank white face. The blank white face, I'm just going to kill you. Yeah. I'm going to kill you silently. What is part of what is creepy about it? See, because I, yeah. even as he's coming at you with a machete or whatever and hacking at you because he wants you to die, yeah. he doesn't make a single sound. Right, except for the breathing. They make a deliberate addition of the breathing through the mask. Yeah. But you don't entirely know that it's coming through a mask until like the end when you see up close he's wearing a mask. You just hear this kind of distorted breathing. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, but yeah. Very creepy. He doesn't say anything. But then what I also like about the original Michael Myers, because after that he just became the Jason Voorhees of just standing there stoically. Mm-hmm. He moves. Like he's that bit where he's running his hands along the fence and he's like peering into things. He has more personality there, but it's still like masked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something sort of creepily voyeuristic. By the way, Michael Myers played by Nick Castle. Yeah, it's true. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And of <laughs> right course, we writing Skate Town USA. <laughs> we all know that the mask that he wore was that Shatner. of Shatner. Oh, and that's Shatner's why the so non- creepy. That's why the mask and, never looked good in any of the sequels because they didn't use the Shat mask. And. Again, I don't know what it is, but today there was something that popped up on my feed in my Facebook of what if in Halloween, instead of using a Shatner mask, they had used a Spock mask and they they like photoshopped it out. It was just like way wrong and weird. (laughs) No. And meanwhile, the Chekhov mask is like, why they never use me? (laughs) Wichter, Wichter. (laughs) And just... We don't need to go through all of them, but have any of you seen any of the sequels? I have seen, actually, most of the sequels. Oh, I've seen Season of the Witch. Which two and three were Carpenter directly involved with both of them. I saw two, 
and there's a lot to like in two. I saw three, and the problem with three was that Three's it was not a Michael thing. Myers story, and you needed to understand that, but many people did not. Yeah. Three, and it really wasn't a very strong story, honestly. It was so bizarre, It was though. weird. And it, it was just weird, and it didn't really... It would have been one thing if it worked on its own, but it kind of did See, and that's, and that's the thing is I, you know, there's... They talk about the, um, the Apocalypse trilogy in mm-hmm. Carpenter of Thing... Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. I argue Thing doesn't fit with those other two films. I argue huh. that Season of the Witch should be the first. Oh, if you put so it's Season a of the Witch, Prince of Darkness, In the Mouth of Madness, you're going up there in terms of it's building and building and building. Oh, it's a better film. Oh, and they're very oh. similar in terms of the type of story they're doing, in terms of the way they... Yeah. Thing is kind of its own thing separate from those. It still well, has that end of the world statement, but it's it's a different movie. Yeah. Whereas no. those are these really bizarre mystery stories. Yeah, the thing you're right is a little bit different in tone and story yeah. concept. Um no, I watched almost all of the sequels because <laughs> yeah. that's the kind of girl I am. I even See, saw H2O. I actually like H2O. I don't think I've heard it's, it's bad. Good. I, I actually think if you just pare it down, one, two, and H two O make a very nice trilogy. They do actually. Yeah, you've got to skip the middle parts. And H two O skips the middle parts. The H two O really skips. Which the middle you know, parts. Daniel Harris actually was pretty nice in her child role, but she was just stuck in bad movies. And then and then you get like Halloween eight Resurrection, which uh, yeah. And then you get the Rob Zombie ones. And, no, you know. no, just ignore. I still this. haven't seen the second one. But H two O is actually pretty solid, and that's where you had Jamie Lee Curtis come back. And it's very it's very tightly directed, and it feels like an evolution of where this story would lead yeah. to twenty years later. Yeah, there's a lot to like about H two O. I would I would agree that skip the middle parts because they're yeah. mostly just schlock. And I think Season of the Witch is, it's kind of its own thing. If you like Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness, I think it fits in with those nicely if you mm-hmm. want something And more. if you don't like Prince of, if you don't like Mouth of Madness and Prince of Darkness, I... Well, what's wrong with you? I kind of don't want to know you. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll get there. I'm sorry. Oh, we'll okay. Get there. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so, so that so is Halloween. What's next? We have The Fog. Which... Oh! Uh, we did talk about this a few weeks ago. We did with our yeah. ghosts episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pirate ghosts! <laughs> look at that on the... Look at that. Yeah, that the, the waveform is lovely. Pirate I don't like the Pirate ghosts! I don't like... How do you not like you you Adrian like the... Barbeau as a no, DJ? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I and th- she's talking into a microphone and it's so I, sexy. I think Fog is spectacularly well made. Mm-hmm. I think the characters and cast are fantastic. There's just no story there. There's no plot there. I mean, all these characters are running around, but they're not actually doing anything. Mm, they're not building the point. Anything. And it literally it all hinges on this one chunk of the diary that the priest didn't read because at the beginning when he first read it, he said, and I couldn't read anymore. And then, <laughs> and then it, the gold is just buried right deeper in the same hole that the diary is. So, so it's like... There's, so really it's not, a lesson in, you know... They're uh, not putting pieces together. Yeah, they're you gotta, not you forwarding read. the plot. It's just things happening and i would like to say yes you have to read as read a the fucking english, manual as a former english teacher yeah. read the fucking book and i think yeah. one of the other problems was is that they wanted to make it an old-fashioned ghost story and then they got cold feet and were like no we got to slip in gore shots so they went and did a bunch of reshoots mm-hmm. and it, it was also you know he went and did halloween and when halloween first came out they didn't know it was a hit 
They didn't know anything about it because he was just off doing Elvis. And then while he was on Elvis, they called him up and said, look, man, it's starting to break box office numbers. you got to come back and you got to do something else. So it's like Fog was literally them trying to recapture the magic of Halloween of like, mm -hmm. we now have expectations that we feel we need to live up to. And I just feel like they, they felt too pressured to him and Hill and, and just they didn't really work out the right. They didn't go back and fix the right things when they went into the research. I would like more story there. All right. I just, it's, it's well-made, it's great atmosphere, great cast, neat characters, but I want those characters to actually be doing something, mm -hmm. and I want the story to actually go somewhere. Somebody's picky. Oh, come on. I like it. Well, I'm I, not saying it's great, but I am saying I like it. And, and another angle that I really like I'm not like saying is, it's a bad movie. Is that the female characters are first and foremost, and they interact in unusual ways, and... They are played by Adrian Barbeau. Oh, well, now there's I'm Jamie looking. Lee Curtis. Jamie which, Lee Curtis. But she's playing sidekick to Tom Adkins. Right. And Janet Lee. Yeah. Yeah, but she's yeah. also playing against the... It, it's just, again, interesting characters, but I just don't see enough of the dynamics playing oh, off of each other. Yeah. I just... It, it's it's like one of those... It, it It's the same problem if I don't like Dario Argento movies, because oh, I, yeah, I appreciate a lot of what he's doing on the surface, but I just... I need something more beneath that. I agree with you on that And the fog doesn't one. give me that either. Oh, okay. it's thin. Yeah. I, I give you that it's thin. Don't get me and wrong. especially learning about the problems that they had of they just couldn't figure out what to do with it. And that's actually one of the reasons why uh, uh, Carpenter signed off on the remake of, I didn't think I made it right the first time. Sadly, they made it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair point. Okay, dear listeners, we haven't gotten very far in our examination of of carpenter because we've been so involved in talking about his career that we're we're taking a lot of time doing it we've only oh examined him from the waist down so far i want to point yeah. out it's been one <laughs> bottle of wine and one very small bottle of cider and yet i have been blathering like it's been seriously one of our more epic rob callahan episodes yeah yeah we th this episode's at like 1.2 callahan's at the moment seriously yeah, yeah. it's amazing i feel so honored <laughs> you should you're in a rarefied spot sir. that is a level of callahan is something to be said right there yeah so Ooh. we're going to come back next week and conclude our discussion of carpenter yes yes because carpenter is worthy of discussion absolutely and there's so much to say so like a carpenter he keeps building oh <laughs> well done well done we made a pun <laughs> he made a pun i'm going to point that out that was not we that was he. he, right. he he's a professional he can do this i would say it's probably because i'm the sober one but i don't know that i'm bragging about making a pun <laughs> i don't i don't feel like punning is something that sober people brag about no. all I'm right sam so I've been Melissa, and this has been Wendy, and we have been joined by Noel, and we'll be back next week to continue our discussion. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at XanaduCinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome.
my gosh. This is so exciting. Do I, do I, do I can't the, wait to watch do, what comes out of your do, mouth. Do I do the intro first or do the extra, extra first? <laughs> extra, extra thing from outer space. As the sober designated guest, it's it's been decided that we've decided to break this in half. <laughs> because we talk a lot. Yes. Yes, uh, yes, it's true. I burped. 